if you would open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 for our Lord's Day meditation. We are going to look at just a couple of verses this morning. I want to say thank you for your patience with us this past week as we have sought to be wise, cautious, prudent in our approach to our Lord's Day gathering and ministries here at Randolph Street. I will say this, I'll be watching for your church email. You can check the church Facebook. Um, you can call us, text us, email us, whatever, uh, for information regarding uh, what next week holds. Uh, we're going to be paying attention and looking and noticing. We, again, want to be wise, cautious, and serve the most vulnerable among us. Uh, so please be watching for uh, Uh, information this coming week. Well, I'm going to preach like there's 500 people here this morning. That's what I told Tim. I expected five, okay? I knew Tim and Becky would be here. I knew my wife and a couple of my kids would be here. So I was expecting five-ish or so, and then you showed up. Uh, So I'm going to preach like there's 500 people, but I'm going to do it in 30 minutes, okay? I told you I was going to do that. So I'm limiting myself to two verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I thought it might be appropriate for us this morning. Uh, Dr. Vickers was supposed to be preaching today, but as you may have received an email on what was maybe Friday morning, uh, we have canceled all of that, or maybe that was Thursday afternoon. Uh, we did reschedule that. That's coming, uh, I believe, the first or second weekend of May, so make sure you're paying attention to that. Uh, he'll be preaching that particular Sunday. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses. I'm only going to focus on verse 3 and 4. So let us now hear the word of the Lord together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Quite a text. As Paul begins this second letter, which is in reality the third or fourth letter, to this particular local church, he begins so in quite a stunning fashion. It does not begin with an extended prayer that we often become familiar with in Paul's letters to local churches. It begins with this blessing to God. And as you heard in those few short verses that I read, there are a couple of words that tend to resurface occasionally, multiple times. Words like affliction or suffering. And the word comfort kind of rises up in Paul's vocabulary to this particular local church. And there's a reason for this is Paul's vocabulary is dictated by Paul's theology. 
And as he writes this letter to this local church, this idea of affliction and suffering forms a backdrop, if you will, to how Paul sees all of his life. We're going to look at two sides of this text this morning, these two verses. Okay, so if you're taking notes here or at home, if you're at home, get off Twitter, get off Facebook. Okay, focus for me. We're going to look at two sides of this. We're going to look at how Paul views affliction. There's a normalcy that Paul sees here about the Christian life. The normalcy of, of affliction. And second, we're going to look at how Paul views God. God in light of affliction. So, on the one hand, how Paul sees life. Life is characterized by suffering and affliction and trials and tribulation. And and then with that in mind, how Paul sees God. And how how he sees God in relationship to what's true about our lives. Namely, Affliction and suffering. So let's begin by looking at the normalcy of affliction. As I mentioned a moment ago, there's a, there's a theology, you can rest assured of this, there, there's a theology that Paul brings to all of his writings. The theology that Paul brings to this particular letter, to this local church, is a theology that grates against the understanding of some within the Corinthian church. It is this theology of suffering and affliction, the normalcy of the Christian life that rubs against the very idea of how, what life should look like in the context of this local church. You're going to see this as you read 1 Corinthians and certainly see it in 2 Corinthians. Some within the church viewed suffering as this, the disdain of God. While Paul viewed suffering as the gracious work of God. I mean, those are two incredibly different views of life. On the one hand, suffering is the disdain of God upon a people. On the other hand, Suffering is the gracious gift of God. And we're going to see that in just a moment. That's Paul's view there, to ruin it. That's Paul's view. And we're going to see that in just a moment when I read a passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. What's clear as you read 2 Corinthians is that some within this particular local church had the first view of suffering. Mark Seifried, in his excellent commentary on 2 Corinthians, writes this. The Corinthians had a tendency. It's good to read 2 Corinthians with this in mind. The Corinthians had a tendency to measure all things, including the apostles and the gospel itself, by outward displays of power and charisma. In other words, suffering had no category here. It had no place. As they considered the work of God, as Seifried says here, they looked at the gospel, they looked at the apostles, And what in their mind formed the apostles, in what their mind measured the gospel, was not suffering or weakness, but instead power and charisma. So if you have an ESV study Bible and you look down in your notes, you're going to see this quote. Paul's opponents argued that Paul suffered too much. 
to be a spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ. So in their mind, suffering then was evidence, seemingly so as you read through 2 Corinthians, suffering was evidence that Paul possibly was not qualified to be an apostle of Christ. Weakness. Adversity. Suffering had no category, category for their thinking about the Christian life. I was walking, well, let me confess, I was walking around a golf course the other day. I was thinking about this text. This was, I don't know, Friday. And I, was, I stopped. I was reflecting on my ministry as a pastor. And Tim, Tim probably had the same experience as I have. Early on in pastoral ministry, I kind of viewed my work as this leader that was going to lead the unscathed, victorious people of God on this incredible march toward the kingdom. And it didn't take long in pastoral ministry to have that beaten out of me. And I recognized that my calling was to be a shepherd. And my calling was to limp alongside the beaten down flock of God and to encourage and exhort as we struggle on our way to the new city. It was a man by the name of Bill Boswell and lung cancer that initially began to beat that thinking out of me. In verse 4, Paul speaks of his and our sufferings, if you look down, if you would, as affliction. This is normal for Paul. I think this is how Paul views life. This is a word that indicates pressure or the burden that falls upon our lives. The distress that plagues us. It's the anguish and sorrow that so often characterizes this life. As Christians, we suffer in two contexts. One, we suffer because we live in a fallen world. Listen, make no mistake about this. The coronavirus and any other sickness or disease is the result of living in a fallen world. Ultimately, it is rooted in the disobedience of Adam. And we suffer as a result of that. Every one of us. None of us are excluded from that adversity. We also suffer because we live as Christians. And we strive after godliness in a, in a fallen world. It would be Jesus who would make it clear, right? Those who live godly, what? Suffer persecution. And this word that Paul lands on, this idea of affliction, kind of summarizes, if you will, I think in Paul's mind, it summarizes any trouble that affects us in this life. It's kind of a pregnant term, if you will. Sickness, persecution, material loss, accidents, tragedy. 
all of the things that tend to bring us to despair and discouragement, frustration, confusion, things that evoke within us deep internal pain and hurt. I think every side of suffering in verse number four is captured by this word of affliction. And I think Paul's setting a tone here for his letter to this particular church and establishing the reality of the normalcy of affliction. For Paul, it was normal. It's a part of his commissioning. And just listen to this verse, if you would. This is Paul's commissioning, Acts chapter 9. The risen Lord would say to Paul, about Paul, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then here it is. Here's a part of Paul's commissioning. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's Paul's job description. Go, I'm going to show Paul. He's going to carry my name. He's going to carry my gospel to kings and to the Gentiles and before the people of Israel. But I want you to go and show this to him because I'm going to show to Paul how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. Now I referenced 2 Corinthians chapter 12 a few moments ago. This is what Paul is going to say to this church he's writing to. He says, So this is the apostle. So to keep me from being conceited, this is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So Paul had received from God this miraculous movement of God. I mean, he, he recognizes his position in the kingdom. And he says, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And then he writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it, should, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul writes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. So contrary to the Corinthian mindset, I will boast with gladness of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For Paul's life, like the Christian life, there was an inevitability to this reality of suffering. It has been granted to us not only to believe, but to suffer for his name's sake. There is an inevitability about this in our lives, this adversity or this pressure or this affliction that falls upon us. Whether it comes from this reality of living in a fallen world or whether it comes from the reality of seeking to live a Christian life, adversity is certain. Suffering is inevitable. It's the tune we sing in this world. Now, my guess is, of all of you sitting in this room and all of you watching online, I don't have to prove that point to you. I have walked with some of you through, we have walked with you 
as you've walked through immense difficulties. How many times on your behalf and on behalf of my family, I've been driving down the road and it just comes out as I curse Adam and Satan and the fallout that so deeply affects our lives. When Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, he sets out the tone. Affliction and weakness is the reality of the Christian life. It's a grim picture, maybe. But against that backdrop of suffering, Paul wants to paint a glorious picture. And that's about God and what God does in the context of this affliction that falls upon our lives. Notice what he says, back to verse number three. He's going to focus in on God's posture toward us as Christians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then note how he characterizes God. He's going to, he's going to note something here about the very nature, and about the very character of God. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I think the tone he's setting here for the Corinthian church especially is God's posture toward his people is one of mercy. It's one of comfort. He's telling us here something that is crucial and central about God. Right? He, he, he's working us through a kind of a theology proper. He wants us to understand something that is central to the character of God as we look up on God in the midst of our suffering. God is a father of mercies. He is the God of all comfort. He is telling us something essential about God. That God does not look up on us as his children with disgust or disdain. God does not look up on us as his children with wrath or anger. You see, there's gospel in Paul's mind here as he writes this. God being the father of all mercies, God being the father of all comfort, the God of all comfort, there is gospel in Paul's mind as he writes this. This is how God looks up on us. He does so with mercy and with comfort. Why? Because his disgust and because his wrath and because his disdain has all been satisfied in Christ. And Paul wants you to see this. He wants you to understand this, how God looks up on us. God's posture toward his people is not one of wrath. It's not one of judgment. But it is one of mercy and one of comfort. Why? Because of Christ. So if you are in Christ, which if you are a Christian... That is kind of the fundamental core reality of who you are. You are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, I think what Paul is setting out for us here in verse number three is God is for you. In the midst of this adversity and struggles and sufferings, God is for you. He is the father of all mercies. He is the God of all comfort. God is for you. I mean, that's the great promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, right? 
If you remember when we were preaching through Romans 8, it caught me by surprise. Hopefully it caught, well, maybe not, but may have caught you by surprise. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we use that verse all the time, right? We know that those who love God, for those who love God, he works all things for their good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We use that verse all the time. But what, what was shocking to me when we were preaching through Romans chapter 8 is that verse sets in the context of suffering. This is not a sad verse that Paul notes. It, it is core to his thinking about this life and how we live in this life. God. Those who love him. For those who have been called according to his purpose, God works all things together for their good. Those who have been called, affectionately awakened by the Spirit of God. God is engaged. He's working all things together for their good. And I think all things in Romans chapter 8 means all things. Depression, loss, illness, cancer. Emotional battles, whatever you're in, he is in. And everything he's working for your good. Why? Because he knows nothing but mercy toward his children. This is such a foreign reality to most of us in our flesh. God knows nothing but mercy toward his children. He is the father of all mercies. He is the God of all comfort. So in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your affliction, we've got to have this good, solid theology of God that's painted for us by the gospel. We don't suffer because God is angry. It's foreign to the gospel. God's disposition toward us is that of mercy. It's that of comfort. So if you are suffering here this morning, which to some degree or another, everyone in this room, you're walking through what Paul calls afflictions. You have any kind of pressure on your life right now? Well, if you don't, you probably need to write a book. It'll be a bestseller. Every one of you in this room have some kind of pressure landing on your life and pressing in on you right now. Well, what Paul wants to remind you of at the very beginning of this book is this. God, who reigns over all things, is the father of all mercies and he's the God of all comfort toward you who are in Christ. And just to begin there, with that solid understanding of God. But it goes beyond that. Notice what Paul says in verse number 3 and 4. He says he's the God of all comfort, but it goes more than just this theoretical understanding of who God is. There's a practical reality to this also. As Paul reminds us, who comforts us in all of our affliction. So it's more than just a posture. God does not sit in the heavens today with just this merciful disposition toward his people but a distant relationship. It's more than that. God has that merciful, comforting disposition toward his people, yes. 
But God intervenes. Notice again, verse number four. He comforts us in our affliction. He acts in time, in the problem. God steps in and God brings help. And the result of the help that God brings is comfort. And Paul wants you to see God this way. To plug into your mind and to not forget this. This is who God is. He is the God of all comfort. And this is what God does. He brings comfort. God loves to help and to console, to comfort his children. Do you believe that about God today? I mean, do you believe that in your core about God? He loves to help. He loves to console. He loves to comfort his children. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You hear that? Though the world is falling apart, we will not fear. Why? Because we know that God is our refuge and our strength. But it's more than that. He's our help in the midst of the trouble. That is God. He steps in. He intercedes. He invades our space, our time, our troubles. And God gives help. Paul's mindset about God in 2 Corinthians 1, we need to adopt it. God is not absent in our sufferings. God is not absent in our sufferings. I was sitting with Garrison just a few days ago up at the cancer hospital He is a dear brother in Christ. He's watching this, I think, so I'm probably embarrassing him in front of his family. The one thing I never doubted in my conversations with Garrison, he knew, he knew this truth at the very core of his being. God was present. God was his refuge. God was his strength. It's kind of the oddity of suffering, isn't it? And I've not walked through near the suffering that many of you have walked through. It's the oddity of suffering. In suffering, it feels like God is absent. And yet, it's in suffering. I think the scriptures teach us we find God most present. And Paul wants you to see life like this. So what does it mean in verse number four to be comforted by God? What does it mean? Well, what this doesn't mean, I think all the scriptures play this out. It does not mean that God will necessarily relieve you of your hardship, your adversity, your pain. To be comforted by God does not mean that affliction ends necessarily. But... To be comforted by God does mean that in the moment of affliction, God in his mercy brings about a supernatural peace and an inward strength to help you to continue trusting and believing your heavenly father. I've seen this in some of you. 
Your heart is stilled, your spirit is soothed, and there is a peace that enters into your heart that surpasses all understanding as you are comforted by God. Oh, I've seen that. Garland, his commentary, writes this. This is so helpful, this little quote. I've got two quotes here to help us think this through. He said, it is not some tranquilizing dose of grace, this comfort that God gives. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain. I think that's what we often want, isn't it? Just dull the pain. But he says it's more than that. It's a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with an unbending resolve and unbending assurance. Listen, you may be knocked on your knees, but when God comes and comforts, there is this peace and resolve that rises in your hearts. As you know, the presence of God. Jason Meyer, this was helpful. He's a pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church, Piper's old church. He writes about this word of this comfort that God breeds, brings. He says, in other, in, in other words, he speaks, this word used to have overtones of something you made strong. Now it seems to mean something that is soothing that leaves you soft. If the comfort of God's grace is conceived of as a food, all right, now I can relate to it, right? If the comfort of God's grace is conceived of as a food, do not think of it as comfort food. And then he writes, chicken pot pie or dumplings, potato soup. I like all three of those. That's good comfort food. He said, this is the type of food that makes you want to go take a nap on the couch, Makes you soft, which maybe that's why I like it so much, right? That's not what God is speaking of here. That, would, that which would makes us soft. He's speaking of something that makes us strong. He says, rather, think of the comfort of God's grace like a big meal of pasta that runners eat before a marathon. It is fuel to help us run the race of faith when the winds of resistance blow against us. That's the comfort that God brings. It strengthens our resolve. It brings peace in the midst of chaos and struggles. It doesn't resolve all the tension of our suffering and affliction. But it helps. I want to finish this morning. I've got a few minutes. In a very practical way. I'm stepping outside of this text a little bit. I'm coming back to it at the end. How does, practically speaking, how does God give comfort to the sufferer? I mean, we, we look in here and we see God is a God of all comfort. We see God gives comfort. But now I want to ask the question, how does God actually give comfort? What's he do? Well, let me give you three answers to that. The first two are intimately connected. The last is in the text. Number one, he gives comfort through his Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter that Jesus spoke of. It is the mystical, mysterious, quiet, 
powerful, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that dwells all of the people of God, which brings forth strength and a stillness. It is this unexplainable work of the Spirit that produces peace and consolation in moments when we typically only have despair. And again, I have watched that with so many of you. If we would invite Tim up here right now, 40 years plus of pastoral ministry, he could probably tell story after story after story when he's walked into rooms with people who are suffering and unexplainably watch the Spirit of God in their lives bring forth a resolve and a peace. God gives comfort through his Spirit that indwells you. That's Romans 8. Number two, God brings comfort through his word. These two cannot be separated. Word and spirit must be together. God brings comfort through his word. I saw this in your odds a few weeks ago. I'm not going to point out which odds. They're not here right now. They're watching online. When I was preaching the Hebrews 13 text, And I said these words when I was running through that last point. I was rushing to the end. We have no lasting city here, but we seek that city which is to come. And I connected with somebody in this room. And I saw it in their eyes that their heart was ready to absolutely explode. As the word ministered to their hearts. In the midst of their difficulties. This individual sat in their seat. And the word of God through the ministry of the spirit of God brought comfort. It brought comfort. Paul would write later in 2 Corinthians these words, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. That's how Paul viewed life. (laughs) There's, There's no beautiful picture here for Paul about life. Our outer self is wasting away. But then, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they are temporal, they are passing. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. Paul, life, wasting away. Light momentary affliction. But what God has for us who are in Christ at that day, at that city, at that moment, is an eternal weight of glory. That's the kind of text that come along beside us in the midst of our suffering, and they bring to us what Paul is speaking of in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. God comforts us through those passages. He reminds us of what we have in Christ. Lastly, how does God give comfort? He does those through his church. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 4. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we, have ourselves, which we ourselves are comforted by God. God brings comfort to those in affliction through his church. He will speak of this later in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, when we, were, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear and fear within. 
fighting without and fear within. But God, here it is. This is Paul now, theology in his life. This is his understanding of God. This is how God works. Paul writes, I'm afflicted at every turn. I'm exhausted. And then he says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comfort us. And how did he comfort us? By the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. You hear that? It's just this like snowball that's rolling downhill. Titus was encouraged by you. And I was encouraged by Titus. In the midst of my sorrow, in the midst of my despair, God comforted me. And how did he do that? He did it through Titus. Church, you are ministers of the comfort of God to your brothers and sisters. How do you do that? You pray. Never underestimate lifting your brothers and sisters up in the quietness of your home for your moment. And asking God to strengthen, courage, and bless them. Seems like a futile process at times. You be a presence in their lives. You show up. You listen. You hear. You share in their pain. And you weep with those who weep. And you share with them words, humbly, to build them up, to encourage them. You come along beside and you gently remind them, gently remind them, those who are bleeding and limping and hurting. You remind them of the promises of God that they have in Christ. Through all of that and more, you are an agent of the comfort of God. So here we are in the midst of many unknowns. What the World Health Organization is calling a pandemic Just a few sentences to encourage you before we sing our final song of the morning. Now is not the time to be cynical, critical, or political. But it is the time to be compassionate, caring, and loving. To be Christ-like. That's all the time. All the time. It is not the time to turn, withdraw, but it is the time to show the love of Christ as we are agents of the comfort of God. It is not a time to panic or fear. God who is sovereign over all things is certainly sovereign over the coronavirus. And it is that God who is our help and our strength. Christian, 
no matter what enters your life, it ends really well for you. It ends really, really well. We have no city here. But we seek that city that is to come. So, in the midst of this, privately and publicly, i.e., social media, in our workplaces, in our homes, let our lives be lived for the glory of God. In the midst of the affliction, let our lives be lived for the glory of God. And let those around us, let those around us see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven as they watch us engage and serve and demonstrate the comfort that we have received from our God. All for the glory of our Christ. Amen? Let us pray together. And then we will sing one final time this morning. Father, as we consider these words this morning, let us be mindful who you are, what you do, what you have called us to in the midst of this. You are the God of all comfort, Father of all mercies. You comfort us, so that in turn we may comfort those in the midst of their affliction. So help us as a local church not to enter into these days, whatever is before us in regard to our current situation, whatever is before us, let us not enter into these days with cynicism or criticism, but let us seek to be loving, compassionate, Christ-centered men and women. Let us look around and pray for one another. Let us come along beside one another in wisdom and love one another to show the comfort of which we have experienced from you, our Father. Help us, O God, as a church, to be Christ-like. In all of our endeavors, help us to be Christ-like, but especially in the midst of this affliction. And in the end, O God, we ask that you would use all of these things for the good of your people and for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.